Hello and welcome into another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today we are talking to Frank Borkoff. He's the co-founder and partnership manager of StriveCloud at Kaiser. Frank, thank you for joining the show. Well, uh, thank you for having me. Kaiser is a tournament platform based in Belgium that Frank helped co-found five years ago. In 2019, Frank also added StriveCloud, a company that grew out of the success of Kaiser. StriveCloud helps major sports leagues and brands create gamified systems, be they tournaments or league competitions. StriveCloud has worked with the Belgian Pro League, the World Bowling Federation, the Swiss Pro League, and Massive Brewery AB InBev. During the pandemic, StriveCloud had traditional sports league coming to them, hoping to transition their leagues into digital competition with sports on hiatus. So, Frank, what led you to create a separate brand off of the success of Kaiser? Well, once we rolled out Kaiser, which first started as, as B-Sports of Belgian eSports, but then we went something more generic to Kaiser because we saw that it's more like a language uh, boundary and Belgium have multiple languages. We went more for a Benelux approach, then we changed it into Kaiser. And then we saw that we got lots and lots of engagement uh, on our on our platform. So what we saw with, with all these uh, techniques like uh, rewarding everyone and uh, also putting in badges and achievements uh, and, 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 and putting up the, those leaderboards and other community stuff that we, we put in this platform. Um, we, we got a lot of attention from, from other parties like PlayStation, Benelux, uh, like you mentioned already, the, the Belgian Pro League, Dutch Eredivisie, uh, who wanted to go and organize their own tournaments, uh, esports tournaments uh, to be specific. Um, and they uh, they asked us like they, those were quite big projects, and they really wanted to have a place uh, of their own, which is completely put together on their own with their own branding, their own database, uh, so they could gather the data of these uh, of these uh, users as well. Uh, and that's why they wanted to have something more more wide labeled. Um, and then we started putting it together. The first time that we first wide labeled something, uh, our platform um, was pretty messy. And uh, after that, we got to really make the process way more efficient. Um, so we can really easily put it together uh, without any uh, dev knowledge needed. You can easily put on your own logo. It's it's it has became over time a bit of a, a WordPress for esports, uh, where you can easily choose like just uh, with a click of a button you can add and 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 pull back features from the platform and you can manage it yourself completely. Um, and that's how we got to. Uh, Strive Cloud because the demand got so big and we went from this local platform with a lot of features that everybody wanted to use because the engagement figures on it were so damn high. We had like an average session of uh, one and a half hours up until two hours per user per session. And we had like that, that user, an average active user coming back multiple times a week. So that was pretty insane. Um, and because demand was so high, we founded Strive Cloud. And uh, with Strive Cloud, then we also got like clubs in Belgium, football clubs that we work for in the leagues, to also asking us to just use the gamification elements and integrate those into the regular fan app as well to make the esports fans on the esports platform spill over to being a normal fan that also comes to the stadium. So that's a bit of the way that we went from uh, being with Strive Cloud as well, just a normal tournament uh, platform, uh, white labeling software, to also being gamification in general, uh, which has now also led to uh, like 
bigger technological uh, evolving uh, in, t in terms of personalization and marketing automation to uh, to these platforms. So it's it's been a it's been a quite of an interesting ride so far. Definitely. And I want to talk a good amount about gamification and some of the software, what's going on in the back end later in this. Uh, but first, as we're in the middle of this pandemic, we've seen a big trend of sports leagues going digital. And that was happening before the pandemic. You saw all the four major American sports leagues besides the MLB. Nobody knows what the MLB is doing. Uh, but the the NFL, the MLS, the NHL, and the NBA all create esports competitions be those leagues like the nba 2k or be the random tournaments like nhl how have you seen the pandemic especially accelerate some of these traditional sports decision makers typically people who are 50 60 years old who probably have never really heard of esports in the past have you seen the pandemic shift some opinions of what esports is and people realizing how valuable it might actually be for their sports league to have something in the digital realm well, I mentioned it already, uh, like a couple of months back when we we also did the interview for Ad Week that you really had like indeed these uh, like older uh, males who are not really in touch with esports and with being digital and what that actually means and how you get a return on investment from that, um, who were just doing their core business of buying and letting go players and having as many people in the stadium as possible and handling sponsorships like it was uh, 1980 um, and they were just like and, and doing all the rights holding things and, and that's just their core business um, they did not really see uh, a lot of potential in the whole esports and also gamification and digital engagement thing while it is complete it's totally happening like they they they're their fans that they are monetizing on on at this point are actually like getting older on average every day so the influx of young new people coming into the stadium they they aren't acting the same way they're like continuously with their phone busy on their phones they're they're interacting with friends they they watch the actual the consuming the content outside of the stadium on a completely different way than the way that these older generation uh, as executives are, are are targeting at the moment so what covid actually did what corona actually did in the pandemic um is that they pulled away people from the stadium um, and all of a sudden, the, like 50% of the core business where these guys were constantly worrying about completely fell away. So that was a vacuum to really uh, refocus on some things and also a bit of a sense of urgency that you always need to get things done to like, okay, how can we make money in a different way? And then all of a sudden you saw that like the, the, the sub-tier, like younger people, uh, second in line, uh, all of us who were always saying like, hey, let's try esports, got their say and really got like some testing things going. So uh, that's where you saw a lot of uh, what happened the, the last few months was a lot of testing and and, and, and iterating and, and seeing what, we, what you can do uh, with these esports and digital engagement modules that you've done and, and what, what, you, what you have who have been evolving the last few months as well absolutely yeah the vacuum created so much like just the disruption to normal routine allowed for so many changes so many things that people had been considering but were finally like oh, okay i guess 
well, what else do we have to lose? People are coming to the stands for the next few months, so we might as well try something else here. Uh, for these digital competitions, these digital counterparts of major sports leagues, some have been fairly successful and some haven't been. The NBA 2K League, pretty famously over in America, has flopped, uh, I think, by most general metrics. They, they average about 10,000 viewers uh, for a live competition, which is just really not what you're hoping for when you're the major league with 23 of the 30 NBA teams bought in uh, to have this league. And you're just hoping that those massive fan bases could translate a little bit more than that. Why, what is difficult about creating a league based off of an actual physical league? And what's the secret to making one a success and getting fans interested? Well, um, how how a lot of experts how we look at it as well in in esports is um that you really need a um like it always works uh, from the grassroots on so um if you go and uh, try to put an esports league like top down and just expect people to watch it because they're basketball fans that's not going to work that's you're you're gonna have some people who try it, but after a while they just stop doing it. Like they stop watching because they're they, they're not seeing their hero. So what you need is a lot of people and like actually playing the game. I'm not sure how many people in America actually play 2K, but I'm I think that it's less people that are actually playing basketball. Um, and. Uh, on top of that, you need these uh, actual like if you go and put down the stars because like if you have with uh, with NBA for example the way that they went from being an average an averagely viewed league to being like one of the most viewed uh, leagues in in the world is that they created these stars you have like um, you have like Michael Jordan who is probably one of the most iconic superstars uh, in sports ever even in 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 countries where they don't play as much basketball uh, as they do you just don't have that in esports yet so the problem with these based on sports leagues is that because they are comparing, they are anchoring like the viewing numbers uh, to the actual sports is that it's in baby shoes. You shouldn't like, you, you should not compare the, them. And even with millions and millions of investment dumped into it, it just needs time. If you, you need to iterate the format, uh, you need to get the real stars up. You need to uh, start with low ambitions and just see where it gets. Um, because, for example, there is, uh, I read an article like a year ago about Tencent launching, like the, the guys who also have League of Legends and I think as well PUBG. Um, it's like these guys were all of a sudden uh, launching their own game and the difference, and they wanted to make it the first big mobile esports, uh, mobile esports, and the big difference there was uh, that where uh, League of Legends and PUBG, they started from grassroots, like a lot of people just playing that game, loving that mm -hmm. game and loving the tactics of that game. And then they bought it, of course, and then they integrated it and then they put a lot of millions to it. Um, is that they just wanted to make it an esports, that mobile game they launched from scratch. They wanted to make that an esports before it was widely installed, before it was wildly adopted across the world as being a game that's played. Um, and and that's, that's an interesting given because I always believe that before you can make something a viewing sport or like a, a, an esports in that, in that case, um, that you really need that, that base of people that will 
always view the content because they're intrigued by the game itself. And then we'll go and start invite other people. Uh, and then you can make it some sort of societal thing. Then also, it's only if you have a critical mass of people that are following the game itself because they play it and who are really into it and they can also explain it to other people is when they start bringing other people who don't practice the game themselves to really start and watching it. And that's a bit of the thing, I think, with um, with NBA 2K, that the real competitive scene, just like you have in Counter-Strike and with uh, League of Legends and other big, uh, big games in esports, is that the competitive scene was a bit posed on top-down. And then you get a bit of an artificial, uh, an artificially created, uh, an artificially created scene, where then also the expectations, because it's anchored to the physical sport, is so high that it cannot succeed. It's it's like it it it's always so highly anticipated because a lot of millions go into it because it is linked to the NBA, it is linked to football. You see it in Belgium as well, and the numbers are for esports and the starting esports. Uh, if you compare it to esports, they're doing it pretty decently, but if you go and compare it to basketball, they come nowhere near. So that's a bit of the 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 problem these esports have. It's not necessarily that they uh, that they aren't successful because in in like starting with an esports league that has 10,000 unique viewers from the start purely objectively seen that's not that bad but the scene itself is created artificially and secondly they're uh, compared or anchored to the the original um, the original sports and those are the two things that really make those always those kind of esports look like a failure that's my opinion at least that's a really good point. And just, you know, temporary expectations, realizing that, hey, a league that just starts is not going to have uh, a ton of player base, especially when the NBA 2K League uh, chooses to have everybody play with their own characters. So you don't have LeBron out there. You don't have Steph Curry and these names that people might recognize. You have people playing with their own avatars. Maybe that's good for long term success, but it doesn't give people an immediate touch point. If they're an NBA fan, they tune in and be like, who, who are these people? We recognize the logo but we don't recognize any of the players on the court and then they turn out pretty quickly uh so yeah really interesting point there and the other issue for i think a lot of these sports simulation games is that they sell very well but people are mostly playing them to play with their friends and to uh queue up the lakers versus the clippers with their friends and they're not necessarily playing the esports modes be that ultimate team for fifa and madden or be that the uh, my play, my player creation for NBA, and so even though they sell really well, people aren't as bought into the esports side as they might be. I think the only one that that's really different for is FIFA. Just FIFA being really popular, and also in yeah. my opinion, being the best made of any of the sports simulation games, where it does an actual decent job of feeling like soccer. There's always going to be some glitches out there, but it's pretty close and it always felt more fluid in the same way that you'd hope playing a game would feel or watching a match in the premier league playing a, a fifa match always felt a little more consistent i think and i'm not exactly sure why that is uh, but it's been very successful long term for that reason and the viewing has also been really high as well for for fifa esports there's quite a few creators and leagues that drive a lot of viewership and that's not just because of the international success of soccer it's also because it's 
a good game to watch at its core. And that's really the most important thing uh, for esports to be successful is that focus and having a good product out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. And a good point you, you, you make there is like the difference between the esports audience and the gaming audience, even within the same game. So that can be huge. Right. That's basically why we started Kaiser in the beginning was because we saw that was the inside that we saw there that, that you have uh, a lot of gamers, even in League of Legends, like these big, big titles, you have a lot of gamers uh, that just play the game. They just queue. They um, they play competitively, but not in a conscious way. They just play the game because they love it. And then you have like the second step, and then uh, is that really go and join tournaments and really join together uh, in a team and and start practicing and start making combos and all these kind of things. But like 90 percent of the people that play League of Legends, they just play it with friends casually, uh, or they 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 just matchmake. They they just go. And Q and they play. So what we did there with Kaiser, we tried to do with Kaiser, and it's a really tough thing to do, is by giving everyone rewards and, and something to play for, is bridging that gap between the huge amount of gamers that there are in games like League of Legends, but also FIFA, and then the competitive scene. And then to get back to uh, NBA 2K there, is that um, yeah, that, that the, probably you have a lot of people playing those games but not doing the competitive modes and the same with fifa as well maybe a little bit like and i don't know the exact number for 2k but you have the same problem with fifa because fifa is one of the most widely adopted games in the in the scene that also offers esports modes um but also there you have a lot of people just not playing uh, fifa ultimate team um those are quite a, a high percentage um because of the packs and it's really addictive and that's also why uh, it's it's forbidden in some countries for example in belgium you you can't play fifa ultimate team the official league here in belgium is played on mode 85 uh, so that's actually not the official uh, esports uh, um, the esports uh, way of playing it but um, that's because it's illegal and even then like if you have ADVZ, which are throwing pretty decent numbers on the table, even then the the numbers are no way near like League of Legends and Counter Strike, who have been there for like twenty years, uh, over ten years, fifteen years, building up that enormous player base that is also very passionate about watching it. And uh, and then those it also took some time for the big uh, the big idols to form. So it's it's always. Uh, the 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 bottom up thing like a lot of uh, esports organizations and and agencies and and, and that I, people that I talk to think that grassroots is something has something amateuristic to it like some, a touch of amateurism to it but I think it's necessary like to have in every esports and if you go back to how it's been created the grassroots of that of that game and where did it come from and how did these champions grow from being something amateuristic to being a globally watched uh, discipline uh, that's very important the whole story especially because it's been so recent and a lot of the fans that are still a fan had been there when it all started so that's that's an important thing to note there that the esports audience of a game and the actual gaming audience and how much these do or don't overlap does also give a lot of uh, insight in the success of a game in being an esport. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I'd be really curious to know what the amount of hours someone needs in a game is before they get interested in watching it at the top level. Because I feel like it's like maybe a hundred hours of playing a game or, or a sport, for example, when you're playing basketball outside in the park and then you've played it for a while, you understand it. You're like, okay, I want to watch the best people do this because that doesn't happen right away. You don't just jump in to be like, okay, let's watch really high level competition. It starts with playing a game for a long period of time to the point where you're like, wow, this is really difficult. I see that person doing it and they're so good at it. That's crazy. Uh, and I, I don't know what that adoption point is, but it's definitely one where over time, you mentioned League of Legends and CSGO, they've grown for so long. They've been accessible. Uh, CSGO, very cheap. Uh, and then League of Legends free for the duration of its of its time uh, without loot boxes, like you mentioned, Belgium literally made FIFA Ultimate Team illegal because of the loot box nature of it. And, and that's just something that, you know, is always going to prevent people. If if it if you have big barriers, like it being illegal in some countries or just the cost, a $60 game, add loot boxes on top of it, well, you're, you're not going to get people reach that 100 hours of playing Ultimate Team and they're not going to be as interested in watching it at, at a high level just because of the barriers to entry there. So, you know, that's a big thing to, to think about. But I want to change topics just a little bit. We're at 21 minutes and I want to talk about some other things about Kaiser and about community tournaments and grassroots especially. Kaiser has been growing over the last five years and we've seen a lot of these grassroots tournaments take off, more organizers pop up, uh, giving people ways to compete in games. How does that work on the back end? Can you take us uh, under the hood and tell us a little bit about Kaiser's uh, technical aspects that allow it to offer all these tournaments and these different games and make sure that the competitions run smoothly and are fair for everyone. Mm -hmm. So um, like won't get too won't get too complex on on the technical parts. One because I'm not a developer myself, but I know a lot about software and all the things that it can do. Uh, but also because probably a lot of people won't uh, be interested in like okay, it's a JavaScript platform and it uses uh, React Native and blah blah blah. Um, like, but I'll I'll go into like how how it works is. Um, Basically, that you we try to integrate with as as many games as possible, um, and uh, in fact, the, the the platform itself is a matchmaking platform. So, for example, we have our own integration with Counter Strike servers. Uh, we have uh, a integration with uh, the League of Legends servers. Uh, we're now building a uh, integration with Supercell to, for example, offer uh, a, a smooth integration with um, with with Brawl Stars and with Clash. Royale. And what that actually means is that once we match you to another user on the platform that's also logged in and that also has checked in into the tournament, that we can automatically put you in the game against that team or against that player, uh, given the certain rule set that we put up for that game. And once your game is done, we can automatically retrieve all the stats. Uh, the, also, if you won or if you, or if you lost, and and uh, all these kind of things. And then yeah, it goes to your profile, and you can you can. Uh, you can see leaderboards, and you can see how you've how you've uh, gone up or how much you've gone down, uh, and then you can also win uh, like multiple currencies to to go and 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 win prizes with them. So um, based on like what kind of terms that we have, is that we like we try to be as complete as possible. So um, we have, of course, a single elimination bracket. You have the double elimination bracket where you go, and if you even if you lose one, you go to uh, lose a game. You go to the lower brackets, and then you 
even then you still get a second chance to still win the tournament. Uh, but it would it will be tougher, of course. Um, what we also have is, of course, uh, one versus many or round robin, um, and then we can seed multiple round robins to these uh, single or double elimination brackets um, as a knockout, also known as a knockout. Um, and something that we added quite uh, quite recently is the 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 Swiss game mode and the Swiss game mode is actually uh, a game mode where you keep playing you can keep on playing uh, the whole evening but when you're playing it's in fact like a, some sort of matchmaking that reseeds you based on how well you performed in the previous matches and then at the end of uh, like a certain period based on all the matches you've played and uh, and and all the how you've done in the tournament you get like an end ranking so it's um for example if i win you'll be seated against someone who has also won uh in the in the previous round the next round and then if you lose that next one you will be uh also put against someone who won first and then lost in the next round so you get a bit evened in the end um uh, to what your rank is in that in that uh tournament so what we try there is to offer as many uh tournament um tournament modes as possible to really give uh people the variety to uh to to really give people uh as as much as uh as much as many types of, of tournaments as they they would like to have and the thing with Kaiser there is that it's not only for Strive Cloud, it's not only important to provide those types of tournaments for tournament organizers, but what is in fact the the end goal a bit with with, with Kaiser uh, is that we like we went from being a community platform, like being um, like a very um, entry barrier uh, community platform where everybody could win prizes. And we want to differentiate ourselves in the future of still being that, but then instead of organizing all the tournaments ourselves, um, trying to get as many of those tournaments being provided by uh, external parties or communities within our platform. So that's uh, that's a bit of the the, the, diff- the big differentiator where we will have the challenge in the future to uh, really take that everybody wins factor of our platform, uh, not just local, but also international, um, to go take that leap. And then also uh, try to get as many user-generated tournaments uh, where they also uh, get still some sort of prize pool, which then they can earn up with. So that's a bit of the the, the longer term goal uh, for for our platform to really distinguish ourselves from um, the the community tournament platforms where um, everybody can win, but it's a bit rigid because all the tournaments need to come from that one organization who provides all the incentive to play. And then the normal and plain tournament organizing tools like you have tournament and battle fire and all these kind of things where you do have all the bracket modes and people can quite easily log into that but they don't really have like incentive plans if you play two tournaments on on battle fire you're not necessarily going to be earning up for a prize so that's a bit of the 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 thing that we want to by making as many user generated tournaments and, and 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 or organization generated tournaments on the platform that's the 
big next step that we're uh, we're about to take the the coming eighteen months, I think. Interesting. Yeah, really allow people to create their own tournaments and then frees you up to create some of the high level tournaments with the big partners. And uh, I know you guys are also working on gamification mm-hmm. and different ways, even outside of esports, that massive sports entities can incorporate gamification to keep people really interested and capture that younger audience. You know, we've seen this, so we talked a lot, this is an esports podcast, obviously, so we've talked a lot about all the different esports uh, leagues that these sports leagues are using, but there's also on the back end gamification for say fantasy football is a great example of that fantasy sports in general, football manager uh, betting even is a gamification way of having people get more involved in what they're watching. And that's why football has been so successful. American football has been so successful uh, compared to other sports leagues because a ton of young people are watching it because they play fantasy football, not necessarily because they're super interested in all the players, but because there's been a gamified way of having them watch the sports. So how are you guys using gamification? What are some interesting applications of gamification that sports leagues can be thinking about or might be using? And what have you been working on in that space? Well, um, just like the, the we just uh, divided all the, the types of software that we have into, at this point, uh, three things. Uh, that's, our, of course, our tournament, uh, our tournament generator. That's uh, the tournament engine uh, that we have. Like I just explained, all these different game modes and integration with these games. And uh, we can use them for like grassroots tournaments for gaming. But you can even like play a game of ping pong and then just, uh, that, that, that I say that I've won and that, that you could say uh, like I, I lost and then you, I pass on to the next round. So it can be used for analog stuff as well. Um, that's our tournament engine. It's been there for esports. We can also use it for real sports uh, by, for example, something that I find really interesting is a Garmin integration that we're working on at this point to really go and also create those competitions based on physical activities. Um, that's something for the future, of course, but um, that's something that I do find something uh, very interesting to look at at the future where I do believe that esports and sports will come together a great lot. So um, that's that's something that it's a separate entity. And then integrated, perfectly integrated with that is our gamification engine with uh, multiple currencies um, that you can go, for example, and have one currency that is just, uh, that enables people to buy prizes, but then they only earn it if they win tournaments. And then you can create, for example, a second currency where just the activity of logging in or reading an article or playing a game if you if you lost or if you won doesn't matter you get that second currency which you can then maybe put into uh like a bet on a lottery so for example that you win these tickets and then you can put that one ticket on uh, a playstation that's giving away that's been given away on platform and then you still with your one ticket you you have a chance of winning that playstation so that's a that's a bit of a different reward schemes uh, and different currency schemes that we we do have we're now also working on an integration with a marketplace so we could create like virtual cards of esports players for example and if you win that you earn can earn these these different kind of cards with different kind of rarity and you can start trading them with other people on the platform so those are all things with gamification that we do 
apart from, of, of course, just leaderboards uh, based on, on different kinds of stats that you can create quite flexibly or achievements uh, and quests. So uh, actually an achievement, everybody knows, I think, what an achievement is in games um, that like doing X amount of things um, and you unlock something, which is then also perfectly integrated with these currencies that I was talking about. We have an experience level meter that we can uh, give people uh, different levels uh, based on some actions that they do on, on the platform. Um, so we have a very broad uh, way of incentivizing people to do or don't do uh, certain things. Um, and then uh, we also have the personalization engine, and that's a third, uh, which we're now like completely uh, rebuilding and really making uh, a lot of personalization possible there. That you know, based on how many times people have won in the different kind of engines, or uh, what kind of things uh, people have, uh, what kind of actions people have done, some achievements people have uh, have gotten, some quests that people have fulfilled. Levels uh, that people have achieved um, that you can go and personalize your content based on those things. So that's uh, like your notifications just being relevant to a lot of people. So those are the uh, are the three things uh, that we're really really focusing on, and that we see that also have a lot of uh, practice uh, practical examples in 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 other sectors. So at this point, uh, we're basically uh, build a plugin for the shared mobility industry. Uh, so, for example, all the stuff you see in Waze with leaderboards and community-driven things like uh, ad, like putting alerts for stuff on the map in live, um, that's also gamification. And that has got a lot of game elements in it. So what we've done now is that we uh, created a plugin for shared mobility so that you... Um, uh, are able to if you download an uber-like app um, that you're able to uh, be rewarded for the amount of kilometers that you've driven uh, with a scooter or for it's like lime that you go and and be rewarded for um, for for uh, putting away your scooter in a certain area where not a lot of people put their scooters because then redistribution for the organizer uh, organization is, is not as hard so yeah we're, we're even busy with some with some banks gamifying the banking experience and being more relevant and being more personal uh, to people so you, what we discovered is that um, like going from from this gaming and esports environment and what you see there is that that these, this target audience is so early adopting in, in how uh, digital behavior goes that the rest of the market follows. So uh, based on local esports markets, for example, I did an interview earlier with, a, I think, Esports Insider. I'm not sure if it aired yet, but there I said, like, it's the local esports scene is growing, but, uh, but it's not growing as fast as I'd hoped even though the trends are positive. But what I did see is that the world catched up with how the esports scene itself behaves online and, and how it interacts with applications or how, how esports applications work that other non-esports uh, apps have adapted to how they are built. So um, that's why we reshifted like the, the, the whole Kaiser and Strive Cloud technology, not just to being esports, but also being uh, just the, the way that that any kind of consumer-facing app can can be built. So uh, that's quite an interesting uh, thing to see. 
Yeah, the gaming community has had a lot of these aspects for so long. You look at something like Twitch that has all these different ways of gamifying viewers. And you're, you're in it. You have maybe drops. If you want something there, you have subs. You have leaderboards for top donations. You have subs that stack on and you get different rewards after being a sub for so long. It's like there's so much gamification that's always existed in gaming, obviously. And it's now becoming clear to so many other companies that, hey, people just like to feel a sense of achievement, even if that sense of achievement doesn't necessarily bring that much to them. They like to work towards a goal and accomplish a goal. It just triggers something. All right, we're not as complex as we like to think we are. And uh, a progress bar that goes up and dings and gives you something, even if you're never going to use it, is like, ah, I accomplished this today. And that's great. Uh, so yeah, gamification is such a huge thing. Esports Network uses it a lot with, uh, if you go on the Esports Network main website, you can uh, subscribe to our socials and you get our own in uh, website currency, you go up levels, you unlock other parts of the site with by engaging with content, by sharing content. And gamification is just uh, being used by so many different ways. And there's a lot of awesome applications still on the horizon for how we might be able to use this and what different companies, organizations uh, can get out of gamification and help fans stay motivated to keep interacting with their product. Well, that's, I think, a great note to end this show on. Frank, thank you so much for joining. I was great talking to you. I had a blast talking with you a few months ago for that Adweek article, and I'm glad we could have you on the podcast. Yeah, so thanks, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I, I hope that maybe in the future things evolve in that kind of way that, uh, that we may have a rerun and that we can discuss uh, all the evolutions in a couple of years time uh, once again. Absolutely. With the way things change, I'm sure in just six months, this podcast will sound a little bit outdated. We'll be like, wow, now all these other things yes, have happened. I, so I, I'm sure. I, I'm sure that will be the case. And even if some things don't always work, like for example, the NBA 2K as expected. Um, yeah. The, the, the and it's it's once you're in the scene and yourself um it's sometimes frustrated because you want things to go faster you want everything to work just as much as you imagined it but the conclusion after being in esports and 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 also in gamification for five to six years is that there is a uh positive evolution that you 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 must admit that's uh even the biggest pessimist must say that the way that viewership has evolved and the way the leagues have evolved on average has made a huge leap yeah whenever there is innovation there will be some things that just don't quite work and that's just sort of the nature of innovation you got to try a bunch of things and some things will work some things will stick and we'll just keep learning and building off of that it's a it's a great space to be into because yes. there's just uh, every there's just the guarantee of innovation to change and if we don't have that then we are in trouble because that's what esports is built upon at this point exactly. so thanks again frank it was great talking to you i appreciate you taking the time in your evening over in belgium i have to also ask i noticed that trapeze rochefort uh, dropped their first new beer in like 60 years, the uh, famous Belgian brewery. And I'm wondering if you could uh, you could ship one over to the States for me. <laughs> uh, like if you give me the address, uh, I can I can try and figure out how uh, how, how we can do. But what what's the beer that you're looking after? Uh, is Trapeze, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Trapeze yeah, Rochefort? 
Ah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, my, it's funny because my girlfriend just went uh, on a weekend in the Ardennes with her parents and she brought me a pack. So maybe uh, maybe I can give you quite a selection. So uh, that shouldn't be a big problem. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a, it's a very famous brewery in the beer circles. I, uh, I have a bottle there I brought back from my trip to Belgium and I just saw they did a blonde uh soon but they also have a quadruple that's 11.3% ABV and it is a it's change. a beautiful beer. Do you mean Chimay or Rochefort or uh, or you have no idea on the on the exact name? It's probably it's probably something way more complex than Rochefort which is my just English speaking name. <laughs> uh, it- it, I think it's Rochefort. Uh, Rochefort. Uh, Rochefort. Yeah. <laughs> Trappier Rochefort probably is closer to what it is. But uh, yeah, I, I'm mostly kidding. But uh, I just love the Belgian beer. And I, I know you're based in Belgium. So I saw that they, uh, yeah. they released their first new beer in like 60 years. So thought i'd uh thought i'd see if you have the the inside scoop on the belgian beer scene yeah i'm i'm not that big of a of a, a quadruple drinker i'm more of a blonde <laughs> i'm a, more of a blonde guy in that front but uh j- just like if you need something just hit me up and i'll uh i'll i'll, I'll try and send it to you it's no problem <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much. Uh, you'll be my favorite guest of all time if uh, if you can send me. <laughs> oh, so only <laughs> that. <right? laughs> yeah, hopefully it comes to America, but it's uh, it's hit and miss when we actually get uh, the good beer from overseas. But regardless, yes. thanks for joining the show, my man. It was great talking to you, and I'm sure we will be talking again soon. As always, I was your host, Patrice. This was the Esports Network podcast. We've got another great episode coming up for you later this week.